Hello, and welcome to Stay Sure Jason, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyven, joined as always by my friend and yours, Stu Lennon. Hey, Stu, how are you? I'm very well, Justin. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well, actually. I'm excited to chat. I've got a lot of follow-up this week. Mm. Um, the big question, Follow though. Are you still going next week? You're, you've got a trip booked. Have you got your EDC pouch ready to go? Have you got your travel case ready to go? And more importantly, have you got your COVID pass? And are you still going? Right. Uh, yes, no, no, yes, yes, I think. Um, yes, I am going. Great. Um, it's uh, We're recording this on a Thursday, and I'm flying a week on Saturday. So that's, what, nine days away. It uh, interestingly enough, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to this uh, for my tool of the week, but yeah, as far as I know, we're on. But I haven't done any packing. Obviously, subconsciously, I've been doing a lot of thinking about what's going to go with me. And as far as I can work out, outbound to the UK, there are there are no restrictions, no requirements. Mm. I think inbound, we will need uh, a thing called a flight pass. Uh, which is your sort of entry to Cyprus. And we will, as things currently stand, have to take a test on arrival. Although I'm pretty certain, 90% certain, that that will have gone by the time we come back. So, hmm. yes, it, it's kind of coming. It's it's getting there. Yeah, I, I can only imagine how things are changing over there. They are removing all of our mandates here as of tomorrow. Um, it's interesting that we've had this little vaccination pass that if you go into a restaurant to sit and eat, you have to show it to yep. your server. That's gone. Mm, we tomorrow. have the same, yeah. Yeah. Well, bizarrely, I mean, I think our announcement is due in a couple of hours. Um, and I think we may keep that, but I think we're losing the the mask mandates. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but yeah. Masks have been gone for a while. We're back to full capacity and yeah, just, um, we, we were talking the other day and plexiglass shields for cashiers are coming down and it's, it's just back to normal. And, um, mm. it's probably one of the least exciting times for me to think that I want to actually go on a trip or go out to eat because I'm just kind of nervous again, wife with sure. wife just recovering from cancer and still down a little bit. I've got to be a little more careful than the average bear, but uh, yeah. I think if you're, if you're smart, if you're protected, you should be okay. You're, you're, you're triple vaxxed. So hopefully that will be a good thing for you. I mean, that, that's kind of where we came to, um, you know, we, we've had all our vaccinations. We've had a booster. Um, the people that we're visiting, which would be my wife's sisters and my mother, they're all on the cusp of getting their fourth vaccination. May well be done by the time we get there. Oh, nice. Um, you know, you're kind of thinking, well, the point of all this preventative medicine was so that we could go on with our lives. So, uh, you know, I, th I think we'll be careful. We'll, we'll do our, the best that we can. Um, but you know, I suspect in the end we're all going to get COVID, but if I, if I could put it off a few months, I think I would probably be happy. Mm -hmm. I was just actually thinking, you know, we, we talk often about software becoming a subscription service. The vaccine makers had figured this one out because vaccine as a subscription seems to be the norm now. For sure. 
crazy. I, th- I, th- I think they, uh, the, the minute they turned around and said, of course, we're going to give these vaccines free, I smelled a rat and thought, hmm, okay. <laughs> they thought this through and, and they realized this is going to be a long-term, uh, well, revenue bonanza. Mm, certainly seems that way. Hopefully they will start wrapping up everything into one, you know, put your flu shot in there and some of these other things that probably are better, especially for people approaching, you know, an older age or a more susceptible age to get just one shot instead of all these trips. But who knows? Yep, for sure. I don't know much. The last two years have taught me that. (laughs) I do know one thing those do. Go on, tell me. I want to talk about backups. Ooh. You know the whole saying, one is none, two is, uh, what is it? Two is one, three is two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we joke and you tease me about all the buttons I push when I'm doing a podcast. I was doing uh, my other podcast the other day and I was talking to a guest and it was a hefty, long podcast. It was a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Right, well, about almost two hours into it. I have the back of my screen is a beautiful red color to show that I'm recording. And out of the blue, in the middle of a sentence, it glitched out and went blue and stopped recording. Ooh. And you know what it's like trying to figure out what you just said to go back and re-record so that you can then edit it in? Luckily, I have a full backup. I have two backups. And so what I ended up doing was using one of my backups as the primary recording and avoided all of the problems. But, you know, I've never had to do that before, even though I'm super, super, super careful about pressing all three buttons when we start recording for various different reasons. And it's just my thought on backups. If you don't have them, the only time you actually think about them is when you need one. I needed one just on something simple like a podcast, but wow, could have been a problem if I hadn't had it uh, ready to go. So I ordered another drive off Amazon because, hey, you know, another backup. So this begs the question, are you backing my track up or are you just looking after your side? Well, I am backing yours up, but it's only in a, an MP3 mm. uh, 256 um, uh, kilobyte format sure the reason that uh, i also get all of the skype artifacts that we use or the signal artifacts that we use Mm -hmm. uh, any delays anything that throughout the transmission between cyprus and western canada that comes through the air i get sure i get basically a copy of what's on my headphones okay um and it is my final resort sure Uh, hopefully i'll never have to use it but uh, if i do i i do actually have it and i have it separated out to its own track and i've had to use that in the past for for guests that uh, aren't particularly good at uh, podcasting so so what should i be using as a backup here then oh that's a whole different question um, I'll have to think about that. Well, as you know, it, it needs to be a simple answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I have to think about it. I, I mean, and that's, that's why I do everything, uh, particularly careful, but it's, it's, uh, something that I'll have to think about because you use audio hijack, right? No, um, I record on GarageBand. Okay. All right. I'll have to do a little bit of research because I don't use GarageBand. Oh, it's, it's the sort of half of the functionality of, um, 
the one that you do use. Logic. You see what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but I'm not sure at what point things start getting in there. And I'll probably cost you some money. You know how that goes too. Oh, well, I, I knew that was going to happen, Justin, but I'm, I'm open to that as a possibility because I, I don't want the message thread that says, Justin, about my track. <laughs> I just don't want that thread. <laughs> you know, and in, in all my years of podcasting, this is the first time it's ever happened to me. So it, it's, it's not a common thing, but sure. something that just, uh, you know, again, you start thinking backups and just my whole backup strategy kind of went, oh, let's see what I'm doing here. And I'm, I'm at the point where I've got a couple of, I'll tell you, uh, podcasts are pretty heavy duty when it comes to storage. Mm -hmm. And so I've got, um, you know, all my podcasts on a drive that plugs in and gets backed up to the cloud and also to iCloud. Um, so I've got my three backups there, but I was thinking about it. I'm running out of space on that one. Is this, well, what do I do with it? So all of a sudden I've now got a four terabyte or five terabyte touch. I think I finally settled on drive coming so that I could back up even more stuff. Ah, oh, it's crazy. Well, stuff. there you are. It's crazy, crazy stuff. All right. Um, I also want to talk about universal control because speaking of podcasting, I was using that the other day. Mm. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you into a little secret. I was working and I was podcasting on the side. <clears throat> so I had my work computer. I was doing some stuff and there's some noise reduction stuff that I run that takes close to an hour per track. Um, just because, well, fussy editor and all that stuff. And I was running that on one computer to the left, the one that sounds like a jet engine when it speeds up, uh, you know, the mm -hmm. old Intel, Intel Mac. And I was carry on working in between do it, doing my stuff. The only problem I had was um, I hadn't thought about it, but I power everything from my expensive little dock that I have called the Pro Display XDR. Um, I run one wire to my computer, my laptop, mm -hmm. and that actually generates power. And surprisingly enough, when your Mac is making sounds like a jet engine, it uses all of, all of the power. And so sure. I started getting out of juice warning. So I had to plug it all in, but I was watching the, you know, the 96, I think I've got the 96 watt charger. So the big boy charger, and it's only just keeping up with the draw from using uh, the program I use is Isotope RX9. And mm -hmm. it was interesting to watch that I couldn't actually charge my computer and run the software at the same time. I had enough juice going in there that it wasn't depleting. I'm kind of watching it go from eight to nine to eight to nine percent left. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was kind of a scary moment because I'm dealing with audio tracks and I don't want to corrupt anything. So uh, good thing I've got backups. But there you go. I've no idea what you're talking about, but it sounds terribly distressing. Mm, it was. Um, and I did find out because now everything, which is very, very rare for me on the latest version, uh, Apple has updated at universal focus mode. So mm -hmm. when I get on a podcast, I just click on my choices are I can put do not disturb on for an hour or I could put it on till this evening. Mm -hmm. You would think that if I'm sitting at a Mac uh, that I'm recording at and I say, please put this on till this evening, that it wouldn't mess up my phone or my uh, other laptop or my iPad or anything like that. Um, it took all the notifications off because apparently Apple thinks focus mode should be shared across all of your devices. Um, th there's a tick box. 
Justin, there's a tick box. There is. I had to look for it. I had to find it because didn't used to be like that on the last version that I was using until I upgraded to use this uh, universal control. But boy, was it annoying. So if you are a Mac person and you're using this, uh, remind yourself that it goes everywhere. Again, my, my phone is so pared down that when things are going to pop up, I actually want to see them. You know, if... If Mrs. T sends me a message, I really need to see that. It's one of the few things that can get through. And uh, I missed one or two or three because universal mode, focus mode, shut everything down. So very, very annoying. Uh, well, you can always set her up as an exception mm. on, on all of your focuses. She can be an exception. She's an exception to everything. I, I know this only from experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, things that you have to think about, but they make it so difficult. You know, the, the default should be ask me, you know, rather than just, hey, we think you should do this. Apple, though, opinionated, expensive, and also a delight when it works properly. So, you know, I, there's, a, there's a plus and a minus in that whole discussion. <laughs> uh, what's your tool of the week this week, Stu? Uh, well, as previously hinted, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call my tool of the week decision parking. So um, around mm. the UK trip... Um, Mrs. L was very sort of cold feet about the whole thing. Uh, she, she could see the numbers going up in the UK, the highest they've ever been, the numbers going up in Cyprus. Uh, there's, there's no sort of mandatory testing to get on airplanes. People are allowed to take masks off to eat and drink, and there's now food and drink being served on aircraft again. And she was very... <clears throat> um, and rather than sort of try and get into uh, some sort of rational discussion, um, which I didn't think was work going to work because uh, her concerns, her anxiety was coming not from a purely rational place. It was coming from an emotional place too. So I, I just parked it. I said, okay, look, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Let's, let's have a look at the numbers over the next few days. Let's talk to people that we know. Let's talk, you know, let's, let's see where this goes. We don't need to make a decision yet. Mm -hmm. And doing that, Avoided any sort of conflicts, <laughs> and oh yeah, perhaps fortunately or or perhaps wisely, things started to align to suggest. Well, hang on, you know, counter to that. I mean, I spoke to you, I spoke to TJ um, about you know, yes, there is a virus, and yes, it is around, and yes, it's likely to be around forever. But. It, that does that necessarily mean that we should, you know, suspend all activities? So things kind of started moving. And I just thought to myself, I, I need to do this more. Um, because as an entrepreneur, he said, flicking his hair back in a sort of, you know, airy fairy way. Oh, sure. Show off with the hair thing. <laughs> well, you get very focused on, you know, making any decision is better than making no decision. Mm -hmm. You know, making a wrong decision is better than no decision. Here's my issue. Bang, do it, move. Let's move on. Let's do something else. Boom, boom, boom. I, I think real life outside of that very specific sphere is different. And just parking things and saying, okay, let's, let's stew on this a bit. Um, excuse the pun. <laughs> <laughs> that really helped. And uh, it's something I need to do more, but also... Um, I would caution, if you're someone who doesn't like making decisions, don't use this as a, an excuse to never make a decision. This works on some things, but not on others. Did you set a 
deadline for parking? You know, I'm going to stew on it for a week. Or did you just kind of say, I'm not going to make a decision now? I said, we need to to just let it go. Let's let's keep talking about it. Let's talk to others about it. Um, and then let's revisit this um, as we record at the beginning of next week, mm. which still gave me time to, you know, make cancellations and all that if I needed to. I think that's the the use case that makes this effective. Parking a decision in a way that you have it as a an upcoming decision that you have to do. Because this can easily become procrastination. Sure. You know, yeah. I, I'm just going to put that off because I don't have enough information. I just need to research this. If you, as you did, put that with a defined deadline that, hey, we're going to come back to it on this day. I think then you're going to get that clarity. You're going to get that time, perhaps that little bit of a distance to look at things in a different way. And I certainly think that's a very, very good way to do it. Uh, the the difference, I think, between procrastination is procrastination, you're just putting it off on a daily basis, which adds stress mm. and all that other sure. fun stuff that drives you nuts and makes you not sleep at night. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think just putting that deadline there, before the deadline came around, our sort of subconscious minds uh, percolated all the information. A couple of things changed, and the decision kind of made itself rather than us having to sit down and go, okay, yay or nay. And we kept revisiting it very gently and going, well, you know, how are you feeling now? What do you think? And it was clear we were sort of gradually falling to to the side of, of going. It might all change. You know, one of us might contract COVID. Who knows? But Oh, let's hope not. Yeah, for the moment, all is good. What about you? What was your tool of the week? All right. So I don't know if you, I know this is a podcast you listen to as well. Take note. Mm -hmm. They interviewed Chris Jones. I always think of him yes. as Chris Allen Jones because all of his internet, his internet presence has his middle name in there because I guess Chris Jones is quite a popular name. Uh -huh. But uh, Chris Jones was talking typewriters mm -hmm. and loved the conversation, really enjoyed uh, listening to what him and his uh, wife and Tiny Human were doing in Detroit, um, refurbishing typewriters, kind of something I did, but I did it for a collection. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to dig out a typewriter and play on it. Fantastic. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I, it was, it's amazing how liberating it is, Stu, to use a typewriter. There's no corrections. There's no spell check. There's a, just a pure, simple train of thoughts. You know, you, you can't go back and, oh, well, I'm going to go back to that last sentence because I can write it a little bit better. And I'm not sure if you're good with self-editing, but I have a, an annoying habit of self-editing as I write on a computer. Mm -hmm. um, it was lovely just to get into that. Here we go. Train of thoughts. It's getting on the paper and, you know, it's going to be messy and not particularly polished, but there's something so, so wonderful about getting into that clickety-click groove, you know, that rhythm is going and going and going and you're writing and writing and writing and... Then you stop and read it and go, geez, that's actually some really lovely, raw, don't get me wrong, very, very raw things in there, typos and um, bad word choices, but sure. absolutely lovely way to write a little differently. Mm. And, and I find, you know, because you write quicker than you do perhaps on the paper with handwriting, um, you still end up, you, you get into a rhythm. 
However, I'm going to confess that I'm still not daring enough to type before Mrs. T is up because, well, I'm just not that crazy if I wake her up with a typewriter. That's, that's just good sense. That's good sense. Um, it was funny because I, I was looking at the typewriter that I pulled out. It's just a, a cute little, it's a blue one. It's got some very 70s wood paneling on the front of it that just really dates it. Oh, wow. It's a Webster XL 747 made by brother. Mm. It's really light. Um, it, I, I have this antique desk that's from the 1920s, and it has these pull-out uh, planks, shelves, if you like, from the desk that you put the typewriter on. Mm -hmm. And so I put it on there and, oh my gosh, it's just lovely. It's still sitting there. Now I've got it set up. Um, I was just feeling, well, I was, I was feeling like I needed a beret, a glass of wine and a cigarillo holder. And I would be a artist. Um, but no, I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, I, I was actually Googling the serial number this uh typewriter is just a couple years younger than me in fact uh, i think it's his 50th this year so oh well there we are uh, it's just lovely if you if you haven't done typewriting i know you don't have one at the moment but anybody that does have one dig it out give it a try it's just a lot of fun yeah it sounds fantastic and yeah i did listen to take note and um chris jones and his incredibly cool family and uh, it's brilliant he's he's a lovely fellow you should follow him on everything mm-hmm uh, and as he frequently points out, he's got the coolest wife in the world. Uh, apparently, yes. Right, yeah. Particularly if you like Pearl Jam. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, leave, I'll leave that. Yeah, that's, that's your kind of uh, cool uh, Pearl Jam. I can't identify it. I just know I, it's a skip song button. <laughs> <laughs> dear, oh dear. Pen and ink of the week, Stu. What have you got? Uh, I'm back to I'm back to favourite. Uh, well, a recent favourite, the Sailor Pro Gear Regular, uh, the Sunset Over the Ocean, oh. uh, which is that blue with the you know the red filial, and uh, it's lovely, it's gorgeous. Um, I've got my JFK in it, Mont Blanc, so it's a royal blue. Uh, love it, matchy, great matchy. pen. Yep, great pen, great nib. Just it's my lineup at the moment is very impressive. I'm very pleased with that. I've got. I've got the Faber-Castell Emotion going. I've got the Pelican Star Ruby going. I've got the Pro Gear Regular going. And then up here at the podcasting station, I've got the Safari, the, the bright green Safari going. It's a, it's a great lineup. I was going to make a comment about, oh, right, Stu's in corporate Cobra mode. He's got all his fancy pens out. And then you hit me up with the bright green safari. And I'm just, yeah. I could just imagine you on Fleet Street or Bond Street or wherever it is in London you go. Sitting there at a meeting, you pull out, you know, the the Smithson um, lovely travel case, you know, that's that's basically the same price as a small car. <laughs> and then you pull out this lime green safari to write on it. Yeah. No, that's that's not going to happen. If the Smithson is in the bag, then I'm pretty certain there'll be a Mont Blanc coming out with it. <laughs> I, I will, as you say, be in full corporate Cobra, hello, uh, sort of mode. Mm -hmm. And wearing the black shoes. I know this. Uh, no brown shoes. I learned, I learned this last week. Look, we've been through this before. It depends where you are. So the city, the square mile as it's known, then one must wear black shoes with a suit because brown shoes are for the country. But if you're outside of that very small, very closeted environment, then 
most of London, you're very, very welcome in Branches. Even, even the places I go, you'll be fine. Don't worry. I'm just thinking about shoes and going, hmm. Oh, I shoes. Remember, yes. I, I remember shoes. Um, I've, I, I think I've got like two or three pairs uh, that I've kind of lived with all winter. Most of them, are, well, I've got a big set of slip-on winter boots that uh, have been my one and only going outside thing. But I go outside so infrequently now, Stu, that I, I live in a pair of moccasins inside. That's kind of my shoes. Uh, they're <laughs> yeah, brown because, you know, I, I have to go with uh, the brown theme. But <laughs> well, I, I just, I've just retired some sort of moccasins, some blue ones, my winter moccasins. They've done a couple of winters and frankly, they've served me well, but it was time to go. Uh, and I'm now into, um, well, you know, slip-ons and uh, what we call flip-flops, what the Australians call uh, thongs. Um, summer wear. It's hot. Mm -hmm. Perfect. All right. I'm writing this week with a pilot Falcon with Ooh. a Graf von Faber-Castell garnet red. I had gone through all of my colors and needed something and picked up the, the Falcon. Have you, have you used a Falcon nib at all, Stu? No, I don't think I have. Mm. So the Falcon nib is a fine nib. But it is designed with, well, how do you say it? It's kind of got a weird sort of hump in it. And it is designed to flex more than an average nib. So that you can use it more for calligraphy writing. If you press down on it, it actually opens up and is designed to. Okay. Which is rather lovely. I don't have a lot of... Uh, I don't have a heavy hand. I'm quite a light writer. So for me, it's just a super fine nib. But, you know, as, as you're doing your downstroke, you do get a little bit extra ink on the page. And it's rather lovely. Hmm. Yeah, no, it sounds right up my street because, as you know, I do like a bit of flow. Um, but I am I am thinking about sort of finer nibs for, for my folietto cards, which are, you know, quite small. They're quite dinky. They're A6. So, or A7, sorry. So, um yeah, the finer nib might be, might be in my future. Mm. This actually might be a good compromise. Are you a hard writer or a soft writer? Um, I can be both. Um, I think if I'm not thinking, I'm probably hard. So I, I, I find myself going, oh, hang on, Stu, this is a fountain pen. Just ease off a little mm. bit. Um, so uh, I, I, I adjust myself to the to the instrument. All right. I've, I've always been a very, very soft writer, which is, I think, why I got into fountain pens in the first place. But one of those things, trying to get the, the right performance when you're a light writer, you know, ballpark points are not what you're looking for. They're not your friend. Mm, yep, indeed. Um, Graf von Faber-Castell, have you tried much of their ink? Because Mm. I, I have a few of those and I forget just how absolutely gorgeous and saturated and I, they just behave exactly like an ink should be. And I think they're probably right up your alley as well. So I'm assuming that you've oh. tried some, have some. I, I don't think I've got any. I think I've tried some, but I don't think I've got any. I should, I am aware I, I've got this thing going on. We've talked about it before, but I've got quite a lot of big bottles of ink. And, you know, I, I fill a pen and go, oh, that, that hasn't moved. This ink is going to last a thousand years. Um, and for some reason, that sort of sticks in my head. <laughs> and I think, right, I'm going to work through that bottle before I buy anything else. But, mm, yes, I might be tempted to, mm. particularly while I'm in the UK, I could see myself sort of accidentally falling into the odd purchase. 
I would recommend if you're thinking of ink purchases, uh, take some plastic Ziploc bags with you. Sure. Put anything in there. Yeah, I think. We, we talked about pens and EDC and flying. Mm-hmm. Do you actually do anything with your pens before you get on a plane? I, I know this is nope. something, it's kind of off topic, but something that fountain pen people have to deal with. You do nope. nothing. Nothing. And I've never had a problem touch with. Um, um, I don't, uh, do I fill them? No, I don't. Feel, I, I suppose because I'm going away, I will tend to make sure that the pens are quite full, but that's more because I don't want to run out of ink than mm-hmm. anything else. But yeah, cabin cabins in, in aircraft are so well pressurized these days that I don't think you often get problems or certainly I haven't. Maybe I've just been really lucky. How's, how's it gone for you? I'm particularly careful. Uh, I've never had anything leak per se. I have had uh, cap leakage that I've had to deal with. Um, my rule on it again is fill it up as best you can. And more importantly, stay away from any vintage pens, anything that has a sack on it, Mm -hmm. because those tend to be a little easier to leak, uh, your, you know, cartridge converter, you're certainly not going to have too many problems with, uh, a vacuum filled, something like that, a pilot 823 where you can lock it off. So there's, there's no air in there. It's uh, usually pretty safe. I'm just trying to think what pen it was. It's been a few years since I've traveled, but I have had one where I've had to just rinse the inside of the cap because it's got a little bit wet in there. Um, but I do tend to put everything in a plastic bag, uh, just because, you know, when I'm traveling, I'm usually, I have my pens in one carry-on and that one carry-on has technology that I'm taking as well. And certainly I don't want any mm-hmm. accidents to end up with ink on any Apple products because that gets expensive. So I tend to throw whatever I've got, you know, whatever I'm carrying into a big freezer bag just to be on the safe side. I probably overthink things. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, you know, you hear the odd horror story, but I have to say I hear less and less now. I think uh, yeah. mostly it goes okay. But I also don't carry vintage pens, so that could well be um, mm-hmm. something that's worked in my favor. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not a big problem, but I was just kind of curious whether you did that something. And it is a common question that uh, people ask on fountain pen um, mm-hmm. forums and so forth. For sure. Cool. Let's let's talk email again, because you're doing something weird. <laughs> when am I not? You're you're playing with hey again. I am. I'm back. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I am back to hey, the mighty hey. Uh, so for, for those people who haven't been paying far too much attention to uh, Storms and Teacups, um, about a year ago, um, the company behind Hay, which is called Basecamp, uh, which used to be called 37 Signals, if you want to get back to that, um, got itself in what can only be described as hot water. Um, I think the American terminology for it was there was an incredible self-own. Um, broadly speaking, one of the founders, a guy called Jason Freed sent an email to all the staff saying, can we stop talking politics on all the internal tools, please? 
Um, at which point the world exploded. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Twitter the world reason, that is. Yes. The reason I think everybody got so very aerated about it is that uh, Jason Fried and his co-founder, um, David Hanemeyer Hansen, have written books on working remotely. Uh, there's one called Remote, there's one called Rework, um, which is really about their sort of management philosophy. And their management philosophy is very forward-thinking. It's all about... Um, measuring output rather than trying to measure chairs and who's sitting in them for how long. Um, It's kind of very aspirational and it appealed, I think, to a very certain profile of tech uh, worker. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's fair to say that it was a very liberal company with lots of um, ideas about the world that would be to the left of the center of the political centrum. Let's call it that. Mm-hmm. And to turn around and say, you guys can't talk politics anymore, then turned into uh, a question of politics. It turned into a question of race. It turned into a question of control, all sorts of things with people getting very upset. And from the outside, um, we talked about it on this podcast. <laughs> you and I looked at it and went, Wow. It's difficult to see how you could screw this up more, to be honest. Um, and, and, and then he did. Uh, so they, they turned around and said, listen, you know, we hear what you're saying, everybody. And, you know, we understand what you're saying, but we don't care. So if you want to leave, here's a really generous severance package and off you go. Um, which again, Justin and I thought, okay. Um, and so about a third of the staff did. Uh, they took the money and went mm-hmm. uh, with the best wishes of the founders. Well, the public best wishes of the founders anyway. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, and then uh, that sort of died down. I mean, the, the founders went underground. They just didn't respond pretty much to the Twitter storm that blew up. Uh, and, you know, Justin, certainly I, at the time, I'd, I was using Hay as an email. And I was also using or introducing Basecamp into uh, one of my businesses near Esnet. And I just thought, look, I'm, I, I don't want to put all of my eggs in this particular basket because it looks like the founders have got a bit of a habit of throwing the basket up in the air and seeing what lands. And so, so I stepped away from it. And uh, long story short, I listened to a podcast last week where uh, Rachel Botsman, uh, who I don't know from Adam. I, I don't know where I found this. I think I found this on on Twitter somewhere. Uh, did an interview with Jason Fried called Trust Repair. And it's part of her series of uh, podcasts uh, called Rethink Moments, uh, which gives you an idea of what she's aiming for. Um, uh, and I listened to it. And I listened to um, his sort of recollection of how things had happened and what they were thinking and where they were going. And well, you know, I, th- I think they still made mistakes, but I, I felt more comfortable about understanding their actions. Now, given that I'd already paid for hay up until June or July, I can't remember which, of this year, I thought, well, okay, if I am going to try this again, I should do it now <laughs> before I pay them any more money. Uh, so that's what I'm doing. I've put my personal email account into hay. 
Um, since I was last there, it can do cleverer things now. So I can send emails from my stuartlennon.com address via Hay, which you couldn't do before. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of experimenting with that as my my primary tool for that personal email account. My work stuff is still in separate accounts, um, and that's something I'll maybe come back to. Uh, and also, I'm running a trial with Claire where sort of going back into Basecamp and seeing how we feel about it. Because it worked really well for Claire and I. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because I think Basecamp is designed for people who don't really like tech much, <laughs> um, which is very much Claire's profile. She, mm-hmm. she, you know, just wants tech to get out of the way. In fact, she she's probably a shining example to us all. Um, but she finds Basecamp very intuitive. So we're, we're working with that again. Cool. Uh, and there we are. That that's where I am. That's how I got there. Hmm. So I'm I'm interested in the whole hay thing. I signed up for hay when it first came out. Did a year with it. They brought in features. They brought in a blogging platform into hay, and they missed mm-hmm. things like my own domain, uh, which was on the oh well sign up and we'll let you know when it happens. Um, I was getting frustrated with the limitations of hay uh, because it is very, very opinionated. Is it, yep. is it still that way? I think you kind of end up with three boxes, your inbox, a read later, and then another. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of it. Everything went into one of three spots and that's, didn't work so well for me. I, I felt that I wanted a little bit more control there. How is it nowadays? Has that changed? Is there, is there more specific control or is that still basically the model? Um, yes to all of that. So um, I think they have allowed more control. Hmm, that's good. But if you want more control you probably shouldn't be using hay. Mm-hmm. I think for me, uh, the penny dropping around hay is uh, to do with my frustration around email more generally. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the hay approach, as you say, is kind of just let it go. So you have three main places, as you said, where your email will land. It will either land in your inbox, that's with an M, because it's important. Uh, Yay. Um, The feed, which is a feed. So this is where you put your newsletters, stuff like that. Um, Sort of uh, RSS feed, if you like. And then there's, I don't know what the other one's called, receipts or... That's it, that's it. uh, Paper trail, paper trail. So that's where receipts, hotel bookings, all of that stuff live. You don't get notifications on anything by default, so that's great. I like that. And the the visual approach is that when you open an email, that email is now going to depart from your world. So you have to choose to do something specific then or accept that if you want to find that ever again, you're going to have to search for it. And that is the key change in behavior that I think you have to buy into if you want to use Hey. So I open an email, I wrote an example in here somewhere, I can't remember where it was, but if if Justin has sent me an email and I open it, um, I've got a decision to make. Um, I can can click a button that says reply later and it goes into a little stack of reply later. So that's 
a little bit of control, as you said, Justin. Um, or I can click a little button and say, set it aside, which means maybe I'm not going to reply to it, but I won't think about it before I consign it to the sort of never-ending scroll. Uh, or I can reply. Or I can just leave it. And it what happens is it drops into my sort of red pile, if you like, and the red pile just sort of scrolls down as if it were a tweet. You know, it just gets further and further down the timeline. That's not naturally how anybody manages mail. <laughs> but if you choose to buy into that, then it can be quite liberating. Partly because I think it's a slightly different way of doing it, and partly because it's novel. And let's face it, something novel has an appeal all of its own. Mm-hmm. Um, there are tags. So if you want to um, you know, have a folder-esque type system where you know, uh, Justin and I might decide that we're going to have a folder called stationary adjacent, uh, and you can manually tag email uh, to that. Um, and I believe you can automate the tagging. Um, I haven't really looked at it because, again, you, if you're trying to recreate Gmail, I've got a great idea. Use Gmail because <laughs> it's really good at what it does. Um, so I don't use, I, I've got a load of tags from the last time I was there, and I'm actually planning on going in and removing them. Um, because I think the key is for me, at least is to, to mold the way that I use email more to the way that Hay intends it's opinionated and it's convincing me. That's broadly where I am. And part of that is because the frustration I've had, or I'm having just around the volume of email that's there. And that's partly because I think people, uh, use email as, as a sort of an excuse not to work um, as a substitute for work, as a substitute for thought, as a substitute for decision-making. Uh, it's, you know, send so-and-so an email and then you've moved the problem from your desk to so-and-so's desk. Also, there is a degree of FOMO and a degree of there just being so much stuff out there. I mean, I subscribe to, I don't know, maybe eight, nine, ten mailing lists, and they're all from people I want to read. They're interesting. Um, I, th- I find them quite challenging. I find them quite interesting in intellectually. Mm-hmm. But realistically, half of them, I'm going, oh, that's that newsletter. Oh, I, I don't have the time to deal with that now. Mm. And it just disappears. Now, Hay says, don't worry about that. Relax. So uh, to give you an example, uh, Farnham Street is, is something that I... I read the the newsletter from them, but it is quite meaty. It's quite long, and it then tends to link to longer pieces. Um, and there are times I open it and I think oh, I haven't got time. That's all right. You know, maybe the next one I'll read. Mm. And and Hay says, look, don't worry about that. This is like Twitter. It's just going to feed through. And when you have the time and you have the inclination, you can read this stuff. If you don't want to, don't worry. Just let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, I quite like that approach because the other approach is, as you say, to sort of sit there with your sort of, you know, very strict head on and go, okay, I have eight of these. I only have time to read four. Four are going to go. I think that's a, that's a great exercise to go through. I think it's good to be disciplined about these things. It's good to be realistic about these things, about what time you actually have to dedicate. But at the same time, there is that middle ground where you think, I'm not going to read every one of these newsletters, but I would still like to have them coming in because maybe I'll read one in three. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so I quite like that approach for the feed. Having said that, I have unsubscribed from a lot of stuff and think, you know, A, I don't know how I got subscribed to it. And B, there are things that I've subscribed to because I think, well, I like that person or I'm interested in what, what they had to say about something. But actually now, you know, if I've got 20 minutes a day for this, they now fall out of the top 20 minutes and therefore, realistically, I'm not going to read them. And I, you know, I think I've been stuck on some mailing lists because I didn't want to offend the creator, um, which is a crazy thing to say, but it, it's easy to fall into that trap, I think, or I often fall into it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what, what I've done, which is similar to what you're kind of doing with Hey, but a little bit different, I just use Apple Mail for my personal account, which is where most of you know my newsletters and things like that go. The specific accounts for the properties that I have those are in a different uh, email app. So my main one is in Apple Mail. I've set up a series of commands, move commands, basically, in a series of folders. I'm just looking at it because I haven't looked at my email yet this morning. I just opened it up as we're talking. Um, I have several folders, and what I tend to do is use the at sign in front of them. So I have like uh, an at actions, an at advertising, an at pen news, an at news, an at read. Um, And those are where the regular newsletters that I want to collect, they don't Mm -hmm. clutter up my email, they go straight there. Um, And what I can do is, uh, there's a lot of different things that get collected in those. But if I want to read the news in the morning and get a quick look at what's going on in the world, not that that's a great thing to do at the moment anyway, but I can click on news. I can see sort of my three newsletters that come in overnight. They're just there. I don't get tied up in looking at this promotion and I'm buying a pen before breakfast. Um, (laughs) I just go in and it is very segmented down to that, uh, down to the read. It has some other newsletters that... I occasionally get to, and you know what? I go into those occasions and just clear the whole thing out because it's a bit like you're saying. Sometimes you just don't have enough time in the day to read those. But they are are active. They're things that I don't have to touch. Uh, I have a folder. I'm sure you have one of these two now called uh, HBR, Harvard Business Review. Mm -hmm. Um, All of my newsletters, my daily tip of the day, they all go in there. They collect it till I have time to sit and read those. And they avoid cluttering up. Now, some things I actually want, things that were Hay was doing that kind of uh, didn't didn't make me too comfortable. Purchase receipts automatically get put into the receipt folder, which means you have to then go through every one of those. So what I do is I have a quick system where everything comes in for me to quickly review and move, shortcut, move it to a different folder. Uh, but I like to review the charges because, you know, maybe there's something that isn't correct or, you know, I, I'm just looking now, there's an Amazon order been delivered today, which is good for me to know that it's out there. That way mm-hmm. I work downstairs when the video cameras see people and they trigger an alarm, I'll at least know what it is, you know, why the dog's barking and so forth so that I know how quickly I have to rush upstairs to go and deal with whoever's at the front door. So a slightly different approach, uh, a little bit, very similar in a lot of ways, but perhaps a little bit more detailed. And that kind of works for my workflow. I'm, we've talked about it before uh, for file management. Are we searchers or are we filers? Do we have, you mm. know, 
And this is sort of the organization on my, on my computer is in folders and subfolders. And honestly, that's kind of what I've recreated in my email Sure. because I'm not a big searcher. And I think, Hey, if you are a searcher, it has a natural way that it's going to work even better for you. You know, if you, if you're the kind of person that goes to Google or finder and types in the file you want rather than, than knowing where to go to navigate to it, then I think, Hey, certainly has a lot of advantages. Definitely. I mean, I think I, I've written in my notes that, that Hey is for the searcher, not the filer. So mm -hmm. for me, the question is with regard to email, can I be a searcher rather than a filer? And the answer to that is yes. Because I think for me, way too much overhead goes into the concept of managing email mm. as though it were important. Mm. And the realization that I get to as an aging, <laughs> aging man is that 99.9% .9 of it is not. And I look at the sort of the balance of how much, um, I said, what, what do you call it? Cogitive load. <laughs> goes into managing email to the actual benefit that I get from it. And it's just wildly out of proportion mm. to the extent that I'm really looking very hard at my corporate accounts as well. Um, I have corporate accounts because in the financial services stuff that I do, people want to see my company name. They want to see the number at the bottom. They want to see that I'm a stuck up financial services idiot. With a Montblanc pen. <laughs> yes, they want all that stuff. And a Swiss and uh, notepad. Yes, I, I, I know all about this. And, I f and uh, you know, I feel um, that's not really me. And once people get to know me, they go, you know, they're, they're very happy to start emailing me on my personal address. But if I'm going to start giving a company advice or suggesting that they do X, Y, or Z, then they want it to be on the equivalent of headed paper. Oh. And... That's the only reason I keep those domains going. And I've taken a leaf out of your book and I leave those um, in apps on my Mac or my Macs. And I, I access those very intentionally. I don't have um, notifications switched on. I just think, okay, you know, I'm, I'm now a financial services consultant. Right, let's have a look and see what's happening in the financial services consultant world. And I'll open up the email and deal with whatever's there. And invariably, there's you know, 46 emails there, of which one is interesting. <laughs> That's about it. And, you know, the, I, I sort of vacillate. Sometimes I have quite a lot of newsletters relevant to that business that, that go in there. So into Nero's notes goes, uh, you know, cult pens, all that stuff all goes in there. Um, and then into uh, the, the anti-money laundering stuff is where I get some of the most boring newsletters ever written, but they are quite important for what I do. So they all go and sit there and they sit in a sort of more traditional email client. That's very filey. Um, I've got rules, you know, all of that stuff. But actually when push comes to shove, I mean, I'm a member of ACAMS, right? Which is the association of certified anti-money laundering specialists. Boom, boom. Ooh. It's an American thing, right? I'm also um, a member of the International Compliance Association. British, what? 
Uh, and these guys both bombard me with emails, generally trying to get money off me um, to do A, B, and C. And I've got to say, I must, across the two of those, maybe read one in 30, one in 40. Because <laughs> you just look at this, you look at the subject line, you go, yeah, okay, I'm not going to go to a conference in Miami, however nice it sounds. Getting, getting all that stuff out of my personal flow is great, but then it just makes me resent the corporate flow even more mm. when I look at them. I think, Justin, I, really, I know what this is, is this inner yearning in me just to stop doing all this stuff. That, that's what it is, is just to say, look, you know, Nero's, um, there, there's Claire over there. She's brilliant. Send your email at Claire. Um, and if, if Claire needs me, she'll shout to me. <laughs> and, I, you know, I'll deal with it then rather than, than taking on this. Now, part of the reason I don't do that is because Claire will turn around and say, well, you want more work or you're going to have to pay me more money. Um, and, and partially because, it, you know, it's not fair of me just to say, look, you, you deal with all this. Um, likewise with the, the financial services, I'm really thinking about um, putting in some sort of filter, whether that be uh, a virtual assistant or a real assistant or um, because frankly, I just can't be bothered to deal with this overhead. And I think that's what's, what's driving this is that I look at all the overhead that my life I can do. And I'm sure this is true for you. I, I could do 40 hours a week overhead. Mm, yes. Easily. And very easily to do that. It's, uh, it, it's, if you don't plan your day, we talked about this last week, you end up doing that overhead and been busy, but you don't accomplish anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, for, at times when I am in sort of full-blown procrastination mode, I can sit there and sort of fool myself that I've been, you know, corporate cobra extraordinaire because I've been going through all these emails and I've made sure that my rules are right and I'm moving this around, I'm doing all of that. And I'm just like, oh, but none of that, A, helps anybody or B, makes any money. Mm. So it's therefore not a great use of my time. Do you leave any any of your emails open all day or are they intentionally no. checked? Intentionally checked. Good, good, good. No, well, I, I mean, I'm nothing against people that have to leave their stuff sure. open all day, but uh, I certainly think that if you can get into the habit of reviewing it at specific times um, and planning yeah, the day much, around, much better. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely something. You know, uh, obviously if you're working for a jobby job, that can be much more difficult, you know, to train people and expectations depends on the type of manager you have and all of those fun things that go along with it. But, uh, yeah, as much as you can change them and work around other people, not to have your email open and, uh, what's the old saying, having other people write in your inbox or write on your to-do list. Exactly. Yep. You know, that's, that's kind of where it comes from, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with my email. I, I haven't needed to really do much with it since the last time we looked at it, uh, which is uh, probably a year ago since the last time we talked about, hey, mm. I've been off hay for, I didn't renew last year. Sure. I was on it for the first year and then I kind of already decided that. I, d I didn't intentionally, Justin. <laughs> I just, I just forgot that it was coming. <laughs> uh, you know why that is? they automatically file your receipts and uh, the renewal notice uh, gets buried someplace you'll never see it. Well, uh, they don't automatically file the receipts. By the way, you can you can undo that. You can have all your receipts going to your inbox if you wish. But um, no, the, the, the thing I was going to say to you was the 
I, I had a crisis of confidence the other, the other yesterday. Where are we? Yes, yesterday. So yesterday, I, I don't normally play golf on a Wednesday, um, but I was asked to play for uh, the, the club that I'm a member of. I was asked to play against another club, an inter-club match, very serious. We'll wear matching shirts. You're not on a Wednesday email list, are you? Uh, yes, there's another Wednesday email list, funny enough. But um, yeah, they um, you have to wear a uniform and you go and play. And, I mean, it's all very jolly and it's lovely. Don't get me wrong. It's nice to go and play a different golf course and you have a nice lunch afterwards. And in my case, there was beer involved. Everything's fine. But because of that, it was literally about half past six where I went, oh, I haven't really shut down the businesses today. I'll just go downstairs and check what's going on in my, in my world. And Ooh. in the financial services world, a company that I am now, I, I've just been appointed the chief executive. Well done me. Um, don't, don't worry. It's, it's very much a, a boilerplate thing. Anyway, <laughs> there's this thing from our legal advisor saying, you've got to sign this piece of paper today. Oops. No. <laughs> First of all, I looked at that and I thought, I really wish I was managing this relationship because I, I would get hold of that person and say, listen, let, let's understand how this works, right? My company pays your company. You are a service provider to me. If you ever send me an email again saying you need a signature today, I will come and punch you in the face. Are we clear? Excellent. <laughs> um, because that's not how business works. And anybody that tells you that it is how it works is talking through their hat. Um, nice self-censor there. Thank you. <laughs> so that was, that was the first thing that, that uh, occurred to me. And that's an unreasonable request. You can't turn around to a financial services company and say, I want the CEO to sign this piece of paper today. Now, what, what it was is that the central bank, the, the regulator, um, wants reassurance that there are no shareholders involved in this sort of company structure who are on the Russian sanctions list. Now, in, to be honest... If you're really concerned about that, look yourself. <laughs> Don't send an email Say, excuse me, are you an oligarch? No, I'm not. Okay, good. Let's carry on. That's not how it works. But anyway, it, it's like the minimum level of due diligence is, you know, to get the company to self-certify. But why would it be so, uh, so desperate that it needs to be known within 24 hours? Anyway, the thing was, I thought, oh, if I had my email on my phone, as I used to, I would have seen this. I, I need to get all these accounts back on my phone. And then I caught myself and I, I heard a little Canadian voice in the back of my head saying, is that really the solution? <laughs> and you know, it isn't because actually I'll be honest with you sitting either, well, just standing on a golf course playing golf or sitting in the bar afterwards, drinking a pint of cold Guinness. I wouldn't have been in a position to print, scan and return anyway. <laughs> so, uh, all it would have done is, was stress me if I'd, you know, checked into my email and go, oh, I need to do that when I get home. I need to do that when I get home. So um, I'm sticking to my guns of not having all my corporate emails uh, chasing me around the world. Um, and they are on my Macs. So I've, I've got a, a laptop. So even when I'm traveling, I will get to my email. But, uh, I, you know, I'm more and more moving towards the sort of, you know, Cal Newport, Justin Twyford approach of, you know, email is something that gets replied to within a week rather than something that needs to be looked at every 10 seconds. Oh, I'm so happy for you, Stu. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a good place to be. It is, it's a hard place. And even I deal with that. Not, not so much email, email I'm pretty comfortable with, but, uh, 
I was I was upstairs the other day having lunch uh, with Mrs. T. And, you know, I, I take a half hour for lunch where I'm out of the office. And I came back down and I had a couple of Slack, internal Slack messages. And sure. I, I hit that, do I need to put Slack on my phone? And it's like, no, no. If, if it's really, really important, I have my phone with me. Somebody can call me. My phone number is not a great secret, you know? Um, but it was that internal, that internal fear. Am I missing something? Exactly what you did uh, at, you know, thinking, oh my God, if I'd have been at the golf course, I'd have seen this. Mm. And it's like, no, you know what? I'm taking a half hour for lunch. That's, that's not unreasonable in a day to take half an hour away from your computer to go and do you know, these, these quality time with your wife and have something to eat and spend a little bit of time with the dog. But it was, it was that internal, oh my gosh, I've missed something, you know, that fear. And you just have to get over that and kind of look at it and say, yep. really, are there ways that if it's really, really important, um, and I'm surprised the person that was making such a big deal of the, you must sign this today to naturally call you. But, uh, you know, that's kind of the way that I, I'm, I'm dealing with things, you know, if something's really important, I need to get a hold of somebody. I will also initiate those phone calls. That way, you know, if you're like me, most of the people that you're dealing with that have that level of something is important, they're not one-off internet interactions. They're people you know, you give them a phone number, you answer the phone to them. All of a sudden that changes that relationship. Yeah, I'll answer the phone. I'll tell you when I will get back to you on it. And I think that's a great way to kind of be. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the details of this were that, um, so I'm, I'm the CEO of the, the local company, uh, and one of my co-directors, uh, co-executive director is the guy who's actually hired me. So he owns the, the parent company. He's the big boss, right? Mm. Now only he could answer that question, <laughs> but because the, uh, the legal firm had me down as the CEO, they sent this email not to either of us, but they sent it to the guy that's been dealing with applications with them in London, who's a, he's a compliance guy, he's, a, he's fine, um, with me on copy. And so he'd immediately looked at it and gone, well, Stuart can't answer this anyway. And he's right, I wouldn't have answered it independently because I've, I don't know who the shareholders of the company are because I'm not one of them. It's, you know, that's beyond my remit, if you see what I mean. Um, and so... I then saw that he had changed the letter and had the executive director, the guy who can actually answer the question, sign it and send it. But I also sent the original back with my signature on it. And he says, well, why did you do that? And I said, well, because now that my co-director has signed off on it, I'm happy to sign it because fine, that, that's now the truth. Um, but the reality is that that legal person, I imagine she's quite junior in the company, had just got the problem off her desk. <laughs> rather than try to solve it, it to somebody else's exactly she just thrown it onto someone else's desk and that's the exact problem of email and it did as you say it created that opportunity where where i could say i said listen you know with with emails and stuff you know i do check them every day but that's it i check them every day i don't check them every minute if, if you need if you need something from me just give me a call and if you, if you know, if I don't answer and you leave a voice, but I will get back to you within four or five hours, it, you know, the, the absolute maximum, don't worry about it. And that, that was great. That that's given me an opportunity to, to create boundaries, which I've managed to do elsewhere in the company where somebody said, well, I could never get you on teams. I said, well, you better get used to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on, I'm on teams for about 
mm, maybe five minutes a week. So unless you're really, really lucky, you're not going to get me on Teams. Because I go on it, look at it, there's absolutely nothing of any use or value on it, and I shut it again. <laughs> and that's, you, know, you just get dumbfounded responses. But people then understand, if they want to get a hold of me, if they need me immediately phone, if they need me within 24 hours, send an email. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm, I'm completely the same. I've got, we, we have sort of unwritten rules as far as expectations of communication. You know, if it's a phone call, it's immediate. If it's a Slack message, it's sort of within an hour or two. If it's an email, it's usually within a day or two. And that works very well. But it it takes a little bit of corporate retraining, corporate yeah, definitely. Uh, negotiation to mm-hmm. get everybody on board to that. But if you can come up with those unwritten rules, and, you know, you occasionally you'll get somebody that you know, a junior in the company or a new person that wants to use something that they're comfortable with. But I think, I think setting up those rules again, you know, we're, we're dealing with most of these problems that come up are the people that we deal with regularly, that we have some communication that we can set up these, these rules, you know, uh, Claire will know what the best way to get a hold of Stuart's. Uh, my sure. team members will know the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, occasionally they'll do something silly like go in the wrong channel and, you know, expect an immediate response. But you do that enough times and you don't get the response you want, they're going to learn pretty quickly that, oh, I made the mistake. Sure. And look, you know, we're, again, I think it's worth us doing this. We seem to do this every every week, but you know, we're lucky. We're, we hold senior positions or you know, independent positions where we have a degree of agency in how how these relationships work. And that won't be true for everyone. This is true. Uh, you know, what, when you join a company, you, you have to, to go into their mode of communication. But the, you can and you should educate and you should talk to your supervisors and say, look, you know, it would really help me if I could get four hours in the morning where I could focus on doing my work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if I checked email at eight and then at midday, you know, that would have worked for you. And obviously if you're in, you know, customer service supposed to be fielding calls and emails as they come in, that's not going to work. But for most positions, I think you'll find that your supervisor go, yeah, that's fine. Look, as long as we know how it's working and you might even prompt change, who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we, you know, certainly in my organizations that I work with, um, I think my approach has, has certainly uh, gone off onto other people and and help them also become less dependent to certain certain ways of working. You know, there there are things that have mm. have spread. Hey, uh, half my organization is on Max now, so um, you know that. Hey, well, there you go. There you go. I've already corrupted them and spent a lot of their money. But anyway, that's a whole different story. <laughs> uh, cool, cool. Any takeaways from from email, Stu? Anything that you want to think about and and think that this is really the way you need to go? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, the more I look at this, the more I'm fiddling around with it, um, the more I recognise that that email's the problem. And um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be Cal Newport esque here and say when I say email, what I mean is inboxes, and when I say inboxes, they all work fine. It's the people that's the problem. Email, Slack, Teams, all of these messaging things, okay, they are asynchronous modes of communication. What that means is that I can send Justin a message at two o'clock in the morning his time, knowing that he's not going to have his 
notifications switched on because he's not a fool and knowing that he will come back to me at a time that is appropriate for him. What these things are not are chats. They're not instant messenger. I mean, one of them used to be called that where, where you, people try and use asynchronous, asynchronous communication modes for synchronous communication. And that's where it goes wrong. If you send me an email, I will get back to it eventually in a time that is convenient to me, not to you. If you need something urgently, if you need my input immediately, you have to phone me. That's the way it should be everywhere. Cool. Very good. What about you? You know, I didn't have anything as a takeaway on this because uh, this was a topic that you wanted to bring up. I, I think my takeaway is actually that if you have an email system that works and mine has been stable, I probably since I did the Hey test a couple of years ago, I don't really think about email at the moment. I've kind of got these unwritten rules in place. Um, you know, I, I haven't changed jobs. I haven't started on any new clients lately or anything weird like that. So I I've been able to, put my communication in the right boxes and basically forget about it. You know, I can go into my email, which I do periodically go in and check out my newsletters or my pen mail and buy my pens. Maybe I buy them at lunchtime. Maybe I buy them after work, but I, I have those rules and uh, methods set up for communication. And I think if you can get to that point that you're not thinking about email and particularly that you're not stressed about email, Slack, Signal, what other, other messaging apps that you use, you get into a much better place. So, you know, push, push back, um, compartmentalize as much as you can, put your rules in place. Um, and it's going to be different for everybody. But if you can get to the point where you're not thinking about email, I'd call that in this day and age as close to a win as you're going to get. I agree. Cool. All right, Stu, where can people find you on the internet? Are, are you still yelling at politicians on Twitter? Oh, who have I been yelling at Twitter recently? Yeah, there's a couple I've been yelling at. Yes, there's, um, there's a slight tangent. Uh, there's a politician called George Galloway, uh, who is um, uh, he's a Scottish firebrand communist marxist um who has you know been knocking about in uk politics for decades uh and is well uncomfortably close to moscow let, let me put it like that mm. and and twitter support have labeled his account as russian misinformation and he's gone ballistic oh and i haven't laughed as much on twitter for ages that's brilliant a whole bunch of us came back saying that perhaps they could take on tucker carlson next so uh <laughs> yes i've i've been enjoying that immensely on the internet you can find me at twitter generally shouting at politicians uh at Stu lennon or you can find me at stuartlennon.com on the web or at neurosnotes.co.uk if you fancy a bit of stationery where can people find you justin I'm on Twitter at JJ Twyford because somebody had my name, Gur. Um, you can find me online at justintwyford.com. You can find links to both Stu and myself at stationaryjacent.com. And if you feel like it, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Stationaryjacent at gmail.com. 
Please like and review us on your podcast catcher choice as we really do appreciate your recommendations to your friends and colleagues to help us grow the show. Our next topic is going to be a discussion on jobby jobs and hobby jobs, which I'm kind of interested about. That will be next week. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us.